look at that. That's a ballerina. Oh, is it Sonic? Is that who that is? That's what that is. Perfect. Happy Halloween, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Pretty good? Good. Uh, I have a question. Does anybody have rules in their house? Yeah? Alex, what's a rule? I know your rules. Alex, what's a rule in your house? Um, you have to take off your shoes. You have to take off your shoes. That's an important rule. Who else has got an important rule in their house? Atticus? I forgot. Okay. Elliot, what do you think? Do not just tell when you need to throw up or don't because don't throw up in your bed. The most important rule. Uh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, Eleanor, do you have any rules in your house? Any rules you can think of? No? Nothing? What do you have to do? Can you think of anything? You have to... Yeah. Love! Wow! See, she's getting the, the trick for, for how to do this thing. So, are there rules in the Bible? Repeat that so that everybody hears that one. So many rules that I can't say all of them. That's right. The Bible has a lot of rules, right? Like, what's... Is there a famous list of rules in the Bible? Atticus? In Leviticus? Yes. Do you remember there's like a list of a certain number of them? Num num numbers, yes, has rules. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's right. So there's all these rules in the Bible. In fact, the Old Testament has like whole books that are basically just big books of rules. Now, in today's scripture lesson... A person comes up and he asks Jesus. He says, Jesus, what is the most important rule? If I'm only going to follow one thing, what's the most important rule? Does anybody know what Jesus said the most important rule was? Yeah. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Oh, you, so that's, that's number two on the list, actually. You're super duper close. Elliot, you want to go next? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's right. He did not talk about throwing up in the Bible, so that's good. Um, he's got it. So, Alex, so Jesus responded. So this guy comes up and he says, what's the most important rule? You've got the Ten Commandments. There's all these other rules. I can't eat on Fridays. Well, actually, that was after. Um, that's what that Reformation thing was about. But all these rules, all these rules. And Jesus boiled it down to two things. So if you come to church and you remember only two things, this is it. This is the most important. Number one, love God. Number two, as Alex said, treat others, love others like you love yourself. That would mean you wouldn't punch people. That's correct. So all the rest of the rules, everything else that you have to do, it all flows up to those two things. If you love God and love others, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and say a prayer because you've got an exciting Halloween faith forest ahead of you. So, Dear God, thank you so much for simple answers. We don't always get the simple answers at church, God. Today, 
Jesus tells us the simple answers, which is two things, two things to be holy. Love you and love each other. God, we forget those simple things sometimes. God, help us to remember when we're struggling, when we're angry, when we're hurt, to remember two things. Love you. Love each other. God, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can head on out. Uh, oh, grab pumpkins. Take them with you, the pumpkins you grew in the, the garden. Do not drop them. You got it? Okay, I got a long one here, and so bear with me. It's got some fun names in it, so it could be fun. Uh, our first lesson is from Ruth 1, 1 through 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was I'm going to get it right wrong now. Um, Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Mermelun and Kalun. They were Ephratites? All right, I nailed it. From Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took... Moabite wives. They took these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Melun and Kalun also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughter-in-laws from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. Even if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Our uh, scripture lesson from the gospel today continues our readings from the gospel according to Mark. We're in chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, in the passage that uh, Chris summarized with the children this morning for our time for the young church. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, Is it necessary to tell someone when you feel like you will throw up, or is it okay to barf in your bed? No, that's not the word. (laughs) Such a good rule. Asked him, Which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. The gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Out of the quiet of this hour, O Lord, may we hear your voice, the voice that speaks to our hearts, so that all of the prayers and the music and the reading and the noise may find its purpose in thee, for you have the words of eternal life. Where else should we go? Amen. The story of the book of Ruth begins with some refugees fleeing famine in their own country. They'd been residents at Bethlehem, but a few seasons of drought had forced them off of their own land into the land of Moab, just a few miles to the east. The family consists of a mother, Naomi, a father, Elimelech, their two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, Names have meaning, and so with thanks to Dave for wrestling through them, I want you to hear what each of their names mean. Naomi means pleasant, a pleasant woman. Elimelech means God is my king, from Eli meaning God, and Malach for king. Elimelech, God is my king. 
Interestingly, as a wandering refugee, if someone would come up and ask where you were from, they would usually ask, who is your king? Elimelech would merely give his name. God is my king. Elimelech's name was his identity. They had two sons, and their sons' names had extremely unfortunate meetings. Malhan means sickly. Here's my son, sickly. Oh, the other one's worst. Kilion's name means finished. As in, what do we call him? Let's call it quits. The town of Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Bayathaham. Bayath, the house of bread. And Moab has an interesting history because the area of Moab was settled by Lot's son, who was also his daughter's, it was his mother. So, uh, weird parentage. It's another one of those awkward stories from the book of Genesis that we don't teach in Sunday school. A little time goes by, dad dies, and the two sons marry. Malhan marries Orpah, whose name means young deer. It certainly has kind of a Native American feel to it. Young deer. And the other son, Kilian, marries Ruth, whose name means compassionate friend. Isn't that a great name? Ruth, compassionate friend. So to summarize the story so far, a pleasant woman with her husband, God is my king, had two sons, sickly and finished. And they had gone there to Moab, the place of questionable origin, to settle seeking food. God is my king dies, sons marry local girls, sickly marries young deer, and finished marries compassionate friend. Then sickly and finished also die, and we're only in verse 5. It clips along pretty fast here at the beginning. Unable to own land as foreign refugee female, pleasant lady decides that she has to go home to the house of bread, hoping to gain favor with her distant cousin Boaz, whose name we will talk about in a couple of weeks. And her two daughters begin the journey west, except pleasant lady tells young dear and compassionate friend that she has really nothing to offer them. No land to sustain them, no potential for sons to be able to create an inheritance, and so she tells them to go back home. Takes ten verses for Pleasant Lady to explain three times to young, dear, and compassionate friend that they should go back to their own families where they might fare better. After the second time, when the Pleasant Lady tells young, dear, and compassionate friend that they should return to their own people, young, dear, but runs off, kind of fits the name. They kiss, she's on her way, she decides to go to her own family. But compassionate friend stays with the Pleasant Lady. She will not leave her alone. Brief aside, Judaism is not an evangelistic religion. It is not a religion dedicated to converting others into becoming Jews. But one can become a Jew. One can convert to Judaism. It's just unusual because the religion is not structured to constantly bringing new Jews into the fold. If you want to convert to Judaism, there is an old tradition, and that is that you must go to a rabbi and ask three times to convert. And the rabbi is required to turn you down twice. These three times have to be spread over several days. So you go to the rabbi and say, I would like to become a Jew, and the rabbi says, no. You go a second time, and the rabbi says, no. Only on your third time is the rabbi permitted 
because that was the history here with compassionate friend and the pleasant lady. Three times she enjoined her to return to her own people, and three times Naomi said, go away, and Ruth said, I'm sticking with you. Then we have this absolute beautiful expression of the conversation when Ruth looks at her mother-in-law Naomi and eye to eye says, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where I go, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. Pleasant lady indeed has a compassionate friend. Let's pause from this story in Ruth. Uh, At this point, pondering the weight of the pain, a mother has lost her husband and both of her children. A daughter-in-law is a young widow with nothing clinging to the goodness of her deceased husband's mom. There is sweet depth of love here connecting these two desperate, impoverished, ethnic minority, foreign, homeless women. For me, this becomes an inconvenient story the likes of which appear again and again and again through Scripture. It's that damnable awkwardness of the humanity of the other. You know where I'm going here. And it makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry, it makes me uncomfortable too. But let me begin by saying that I am not going to talk about policy. Policy answers regarding refugees and national borders. That is not my training, nor is it my job. My job is to discern what Scripture has to say about how we treat one another. And I am quite confident that we are not attending to the message of Scripture when we dehumanize other human beings so that we can be more comfortable in rejecting them. Make no mistake, by simply blaming policymakers, the decisions regarding asylum seekers and refugees are only the government that they think we want. And they think we want to keep them out. And so they do. What if the great clots of people streaming north from their own countries and villages in Central and South America, what if they have lost family, friends, and homes? What if they happen to be capable of great love? What if they are pleasant people, compassionate friends, and many of them for whom God is their king here on reformation sunday i think it's helpful to talk about one who was born a lutheran her father was a lutheran pastor in fact and her mother was a language instructor as an infant her father took an assignment at a parish in a communist town in germany in east germany Growing up, she excelled in mathematics and foreign languages, and she received her doctorate in quantum chemistry. 
She turned down faculty appointments because in the Communist Party had required that if you wanted to be a full professor, you had to report all anti-revolutionary behavior of your colleagues. And so she chose not to be faculty because she did not want to be reporting people to the Communist Party. Over years, communism in her East German country collapsed and she suddenly felt the freedom of a more democratic government. This daughter of a Lutheran pastor entered politics. I'm speaking, of course, about Angela Merkel, recently retired Chancellor of Germany. She will be remembered for many, many things, but of great importance to the likes of Naomi and Ruth, against all public opinion, Angela Merkel led Germany to receive over 800,000 refugees, nearly 10 times those of the United States in the same period of time. No, it hasn't been pretty. There's been a great conservative backlash in Germany, but one cannot help but think that Chancellor Merkel saw something different in the faces of those yearning for safety and security and home. She, enlightened by her own Reformation heritage, said to the people of Germany, we must do this. Wir können das tun. We can do this. And over time, the public opinion did change, and refugees, primarily from Syria, were taken in by German families and towns and communities. But let's not telescope things. Let's not go to the impossible dimensions of the global stage. I seldom preach about global policy because it lapses us into all kinds of helplessness. I don't think that the power of the pulpit should be reduced to an action plan that says, write your congressional representative. I don't think that's the culmination of the call of the gospel. Although, it's never a bad idea. I'm not saying don't do it. I just don't think that that's what the pulpit is for. I think that our time is better spent discussing things within our reach things within our capacity. It's the recalibration of our own hearts. The policy statements we draft in our own heads. When we see another human being, not distant, perhaps just across the street, or waiting for the train, or sitting with another parent in a school meeting or a classroom, how does our brain see others? What does our heart hear when we perceive a thick accent or odd clothing or smell different concoctions of food? Do we have the capacity to see others as potentially pleasant people, as capable of deep compassion, the possibility of friend? Can we experience the resonance that their pain is as legitimate as our pain? Their stories of loss, of fear, of sadness can be as real as ours. Can we imagine others as capable of great love? What if loving others was not an option? What if loving others was some sort of calculated determined, important activity that doesn't flow because you've decided to love, but it is required. What if the echo wasn't, wir können das tun, 
We can do this. But das müssen wir tun. We must do this. It is the greatest commandment. It is the non-judgmental demand of our souls. The first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If there's only one God, then there's only one focus of our deep and passionate love. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It makes me uncomfortable to consider that love and compassion is not reserved only for the most pleasant among us. It's a command pronounced in the realm of all who believe that God is King. And if that makes you uncomfortable, as it does me, the command to love one another, to love neighbor, makes me squirm. So be it. Know that there's another command. It's the postgraduate edict that should really keep us awake at night. And that turns out to be the command to love your enemies. Let's start with our neighbors. Amen. Amen.